You're listening to Fit Girl, Your Guide to Getting in Shape. This is podcast episode number 237. In this episode, how to identify your limiting beliefs, the importance of having a food scale, and proper training abdominal techniques. Most people are doing it all wrong. I'm Kira Langolf, your host and guide to getting in shape. As a professional fitness trainer, it's my job to get clients in shape quickly and keep them healthy. In this podcast, I'll reveal to you the shape-up secrets I use along with training, nutrition, and motivational tips and advice. I'll set you straight on what works and what is a waste of time, and I'll be your guide to your best body ever. Check out my websites at fitnessmakeover.com and coachkira.com. So I ran out of time to put the poll on all the websites, so it's over on the fitgirlguide.blogspot.com site, and if you're wondering what I'm talking about, that is the poll um, regarding the nutrition segment we did last time on your meals, and how many meals do you cook, and how many times do you eat out, and just some general questions to kind of see what your meal patterns are like. So make sure you get over to that website and put your opinions down. Now, I am getting over a cold. I kind of got the flu or whatever is going around. Um, Luckily, it only lasted about two days for me as far as the bad stuff, but this residual stuff is going to be here for a while. So I'll apologize for that, but I guess you'll probably get used to it after a while. It is winter here in Florida, and with our weather going up and down, we had a high of 80-something, and then we had a high of 60-something. So we fluctuate so much. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I guess if you're up north buried in snow, you'd probably rather have the um, fluctuation of the temperatures than just being buried in snow. So anyways, um, you'll see when we get these really low temperatures, like in the 30s or 40s, I always stick that up there on the uh, Twitter and Facebook. So make sure you are following me on those things. Now, so far this winter, we've had a low in the 30s and in the 40s. And lucky for me, I'm out taking the dog at that time, so it's early morning. So yeah, I'll take a screenshot and stick it up there. So we'll see if we go any lower. Uh, 42 was just last week. And um, maybe you can let me know what your low or maybe your high is in that range. I don't know. Anyways, give me a tweet or Facebook or whatever and let me know. I'm curious where everybody lives and what your weather's like. Okay, so let's get rolling on this before uh, my cold catches up to me again. Uh, We'll start out with nutrition since we were just talking about that. And it's come up recently about food scales and what kind to use and if you should use them and things like that. So I figured that would be a good idea to talk about that and find out, do you all have one? Do you use one? Um, I know sometimes I don't use it all the time. Um, If I'm training for a competition or something specific, I will use it. Um, It definitely makes a difference. And I'm going to tell you, all about why it makes a difference. Um, I've actually had the one that I'm using now for a pretty long time. Um, I got it the last, ooh, gosh, a couple times I did competitions. That would have been like in the early 2000s. Um, anyways, I'm kind of gearing up for another one this year, so I'm still using it. And um, it is really helpful. And there's a couple of kinds that are good and some that are better. And so you might be familiar with the spring-loaded ones. Um, they kind of look maybe almost like a postal scale. And then there's other ones that are a little more fancy, and there's some that are super-duper fancy. Uh, You can kind of run the range on that, but you can definitely find a food scale in 
every price range. And I'll leave some links to the one that I use and some other ones that I would suggest as well. Now, you may wonder, well, why do I really need a food scale if I'm not trying to really watch everything specifically? Well, it's not so much to limit your calories, but to actually make sure you're getting enough, enough nutrients as far as your protein, carbs, and fats, because you'll be surprised when you start weighing things out that one cup or eight ounces of something is more or less than what you've been eating. And of course, it's a really great thing when it's actually more and you get to eat more. And you learn that by your food scale. And part of the food scale also teaches you your portions. So you start to be able to eyeball, oh, that's about six ounces of fish, or that's about eight ounces of chicken, or you know whatever you're weighing. So don't think of the food scale in terms of a diet aid. Think of it as an accurate measurement of your food to make sure you're getting in the proper amount of protein, fats, and carbs. Now, most of your basic scales are going to give you your weight in grams or ounces. And of course, with that information, you can look up the nutritional information and find out exactly how many protein, carbs, and um, fat grams you're taking in each day. And that's one of the things I think people screw up on a lot. They end up overestimating how many carbs and grams and fat grams they're taking in. So they're actually not getting enough of those two, and that can cause a plateau or just kind of halt the progress, whether it's for weight loss or sculpting or trying to see tone. Um, all of it makes a big difference. So let's go over some of the things that you need to think about when you're using a scale and some helpful hints on how to use it. So first of all, you want a scale that is easy to read. Okay, you don't want to have too many little partitions so that it's really difficult to figure it out. Now, mine, I push a button, it zeroes it out, I put the um, bowl or whatever I'm going to measure in on top and zero that out, and then it just gives me the true measurement of whatever I put in that bowl. And that's super easy for me. It's digital, one button. Kind of hard to screw that up. But that one may not particularly be in your budget. I can't remember how much it was, but it wasn't really, really wasn't that expensive. Um, I'll look it up and, like I said, put that link at the fitgirlguide.blogspot page, but I'm probably thinking it was probably the $20, $30 range maybe. And seeing that I now I've had it for, golly, 16 years or more, um, definitely it's held up. And I don't even think I've changed the batteries or anything. But anyways, it's, you know, good quality. So anyways, you also want to make sure that you've got something to put your food in or on. So whether it has its own bowl or cup for putting your food into it, or if it's one like I have that you put your plate on and you press a button that's called tar um, to zero it out, either way you got to make sure you got some place to put the food. And then of course your you know biggest thing is making sure it's easy to maintain. You know you just want to be able to wipe it down or clean the uh, food bowl or whatever and move on. You don't want to have a high maintenance food scale. Now, here's some helpful hints on how to use your food scale once you have it. And some of these might seem kind of obvious to you, but I got to be honest with you, I have to go over it anyway, because you'd be surprised. Some people just don't think of these things. And, you know, I've even had a few clients skip some of these steps and completely messed up their intake because they weren't following the right instructions on how to weigh the foods. So it can happen. Um, the first thing is read the manual, seriously. Do it. Don't just look at the pictures. Don't toss it aside. You know, read it because sometimes there'll be little indications um, of a setting or how to use it more effectively and you'll miss it if you don't read the manual. Okay, so then 
of course you want to zero out the scale. So if you have your basket or cup on top already and it's a spring loaded, you might have to dial it to where it gets to zero. Um, if you've got the tar button, then there you go. You just press that each time you're going to use it. Now, depending on your scale, you might have to even subtract the weight of your food bowl. But you know what? I don't know that there's a whole lot of those on the market anymore, but some of you may have them um, because it's so much easier just to zero out from the beginning. So you want to make sure that you're getting the actual weight of the food, not the food and the container. Now, again, I would look for that tar button. I might not be saying it correctly, but it's T-A-R-E. And um, that's the thing that zeroes it out when you put your plate on there and life is good. Makes it so much easier and faster. And we all like speed when it comes to preparing meals. Now, this may also sound common sense, but put the food in the center of the bowl. Don't kind of leave it hanging off one end, um, you know, and just pile it up there. But I'll also find sometimes that once it settles down a little bit, the weight may change. So wait till that actual scale stops moving, whether it's digital or whether it's the little um, needle indicator. Just make sure it's completely solid, not moving, and there you have your weight. Because otherwise you're going to be guessing again. So if you hit a plateau in your progress, or you just want to make sure that you're getting enough fat grams, carb grams, and protein grams in, then go ahead, invest in a food scale, or if you already have one, start using it. It's certainly a great way to be honest with yourself and to be accurate in your intake. And it's also going to help teach you portion control and portion size. And being able to look at a piece of food and say, oh, that's about four ounces or whatever helps you when you're eating out. You can allot how much you should have for that meal and then whatever you should be taking home. And portion size, as we all know, is one of those keys to getting in shape or losing weight or pretty much, you know, everything. You don't want to over overeat, but you also don't want to underestimate. And to be honest with you, I usually find that when I'm eyeballing something with the chicken, I overestimate. I end up having more than I need. And with everything else, I underestimate, like I don't ever have enough of the vegetables. So when I measure it, I realize, oops, I've really been limited on that. So it helps to balance it all out. Even if you've been doing it for a long time like myself, sometimes you fall back into different habits and, you know, you just don't really eyeball things correctly. So relearning what you may thought you have already learned but knowing exactly what your portion size is and how much grams you're getting in. And, you know, we talked about that with the percentages, how, what percentage of protein, carbs, and fat you should have, and that equals out to a certain number of grams. So, yeah, there's some math involved if you want to fine-tune your physique, but, hey, that's what it's all about. If it was simple, everybody would do it, but in all honesty, it's really not that hard. It just takes a little extra thought. Now in motivation, we've been talking about your belief window, your limiting beliefs. These are those things that you think about or the self-talk that you hear that is holding you back from achieving what you want. And it's kind of masked in a way of a thought process that you don't even notice. So, you know, the couple of the last parts were for you to kind of recognize these things and maybe even write them down and realize that you may be uh, thinking or have an attitude towards either a food or weight loss or exercise or whatever, or your time management that is limiting you from reaching your true potential. 
So in the last episode, we mentioned listening to those thoughts and and actually writing down some notes of any negative or unsupportive thoughts or self-talk. And I am really curious, have you done that? Because it's easy to sit here and think about it and talk about it, but until you actually take that five minutes to sit down and write some of the things that you may be saying to yourself that are not supportive, nothing's going to change. You have to take that step and putting it on paper is going to make you look at it more subjectively or objectively. Well, one or the other. Anyways, you get the idea. You can look at something and kind of have a different view of it and realize, man, maybe that's not what I need to be saying to myself. Now, there are other techniques to help you find your limiting beliefs because sometimes they're so embedded in our regular talk, self-talk, that it's really kind of hard to to um, find them. And then, of course, if you can't find them, you can't fix them. So we're going to go through uh, one of the methods to discover the limiting beliefs. And it's just a real easy, simple series of questions. And again, I would strongly recommend you write it down. And of course, if you have a journal, that's a perfect place to do these things because you can look back on it and see if you've changed that limiting belief or if you still need to work on it. And keeping track on paper is going to help eliminate the process of, I don't remember, or maybe you're remembering not correctly. Sometimes people do that. Um, So either way, always recommend writing these things down. So let's go through some of the questions that you could ask yourself to find out your limiting beliefs. All right, so step one is to ask yourself, what is a goal that I have? And why haven't I reached it yet? Now, I know some of you know how I love my surveys. Uh, Some of the surveys uh, told me that a lot of you have been working on the same fitness goal for more than a year. And even more of you probably marked been working on it forever because that was one of the choices. And if it feels like you've been working on the same fitness goal forever, something's not right. Okay, so again, it could be your food, it could be your training, but a lot of time it's going to be deep-seated in your head because your head is where your motivation comes from. So I have a couple of examples I'm going to go over with you on how to use these questions. And one's going to deal with not weight loss and the other one will. So first, let's just start with something a little more generic. And our first example is going to be someone who says to themselves, I need money to start a business, but I don't have any extra money to risk. So they would have a goal to start a business, haven't reached it yet because they feel like they don't have any extra money to put into it and they they can't risk anything. So the next step in the questions is to say, is this belief true? Okay, is it absolutely true? Now, most of the time your first thought is going to be, yeah, of course it's true. I'm thinking it, it's true, it's got to be true. So you, this person with the money situation might say, yeah, I, I need money to start a business, but I don't have extra to risk. So yeah, absolutely. That's true. And then it's kind of like going into that deeper why again, you have to ask yourself deeper, is this belief beyond a shadow of a doubt true? Is it possible that there's at least one person out there on the planet that could prove this wrong? Now that's going to take some thought. Maybe it's not. Maybe you can say, you know what? There's tons of people out there who have built businesses from nothing at all, starting with almost no money or asking for help, getting donations or whatever the case may be. But yeah, there's definitely people out there that can prove it wrong that you know you, you don't have to throw in extra money into a business to make it work. Sure, is it going to be you know maybe a little more difficult or whatever, but that's not the point right now. Wipe those thoughts out and just prove it yes or no. So then you're going to say, all right, think about your feelings. How does this 
belief make you feel? You know, so when you're feeling this, when you're saying, I don't have any extra money to risk, but you know that in reality, that's not something that is really holding you back, how's it going to make you feel? Maybe it makes you feel sad or helpless or trapped or frustrated, anything, well, and everything. And of course, a lot of these go with all of the other limiting beliefs you might have because a lot of the feelings are the same. A lot of the emotions are same because you're having a goal and you're not getting closer to it. So no matter what it is, there's that frustration. There's that feeling of, you know, being lost and maybe just ready to give up. So in this case, um, the person would say, well, I feel like I can't get anything started because I don't have any money to risk. And it turns into a vicious cycle. And we've seen this with weight loss as well. So they might add to that if they risk and fail, they'll be in a worse position than before. So, you know, so that's definitely a fear factor and that's going to hold them back. But what you want to do is turn it around and say, okay, what would the exact opposite of this belief be? And you might say to yourself, I, I don't need money to start a business because other people have done it. If I'm resourceful enough, um, I can actually do this and take those thoughts one step further and say, you know what, not having money actually forces me to focus on the high value revenue generating activities. So the things that are going to get me the most bang for my buck. So it actually forces me to be a better person when I'm starting out. And you've seen it sometimes. People start out with a whole lot of money for a business and they blow it all. And that doesn't get them anywhere either. So that's not necessarily the answer. So, you know, maybe not having enough to start with helps you to build a better, more solid foundation. Then you're going to take that same but opposite belief and say, okay, how's that going to make me feel? So when you read that sentence to yourself, how do you feel? Well, maybe you feel excited or free to move forward or re-energized or somehow determined to be resourceful and make things happen. Now, when you start thinking about that first belief and then the opposite belief and you start looking at them on paper, can you tell there's a difference in emotions between the beliefs? Well, of course there are. You know, the first one, you're stuck, you're frustrated, um, you're more likely to procrastinate because you just don't think you're going to be able to do it. Well, the other one gives you the motivation to push on, to take action, to keep up with it. You know, we're all looking for that motivation and that's where it comes from, those thoughts and how you view whatever you're trying to accomplish. Now let's go through another example that has to do with getting in shape or weight loss. And let's say you think to yourself, I, I really want to get in shape, but no matter what I do, I've tried everything, I can't lose weight. Now I got to tell you, I've heard that actually from a ton of people. And I'll let you know here how the conversation usually goes. Okay, but before we get to that, we're going to go through the series of questions. So the first is, is it true? Is it true beyond a shadow of a doubt? Is it possible that at least one person on the planet could prove this wrong? And yeah, that was actually one question. Number three would be, how does this belief make you feel? We should probably change that to how does this incorrect belief or limiting belief make you feel? What would be the opposite of this belief? And what does the, or how does the opposite belief make you feel? So going back to the conversations I've had a million times with people who say, 
oh, no matter what I do, I'm destined not to lose weight. I've tried everything. I just can't lose weight. That doesn't exercise doesn't work for me. That's the one that makes me cringe the most. Um, nothing works for me. And so, you know, probably what I'm going to ask is, well, really, you can't lose weight no matter what. Okay, well, what have you tried? And they'll say, oh, just everything. And I'll say, well, everything? Tell me what were the last 100 things you tried to do to get in shape? Well, well, they say they start to stumble. I haven't really tried 100 different things. So I'll say, okay, well, that's fair enough. How about the last 25 things you did to lose weight? And usually it goes, oh, well, I really haven't tried 25 things either. And, you know, of course, now I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, you've probably not tried a whole lot. So how many things have you actually tried trying to kind of pull this information? And usually they'll say, well, I tried maybe four or five different things. Oh, really? And that's everything in the whole wide world that you've tried. Okay. Because the bottom line is it works. Okay. Yes, diets work. Yes, exercise works. You know, all of it works, but you have to stick to it. And if you can't stick to it, the problem is not, well, it could be partly the food and the nutrition because if they're just too ridiculously hard to do, you're not going to be able to stick to it. But the other thing is your mindset, your motivation, you know, the things that keep you going when you don't feel like going. So what this has become is called globalizing. And I actually talk about that in the Mindset Makeover book because a lot of people do this. They'll take one or two experiences and say, okay, that's it. That's everything from now on everything okay I, I tried this diet and I tried that exercise and that's it I can't lose weight so just across the board no matter what and that's not true now when it comes to getting in shape and being healthy there's a ton of these limiting beliefs and definitely I've heard a lot of them and I can get into more of them but right now we're going to start with this one so we're going to go back to this and apply those questions to it and you know, see if this anything sounds familiar to you. Uh, you can let me know, of course, you know where to contact me. So first of all, is the belief true? Okay, has this person really tried everything? No, no, she hadn't tried everything because you know what, had she tried everything, she would have been successful. Okay, because one of those things would have worked. Now, again, is it beyond a shadow of a doubt? true that she can't lose weight that she can't that she's tried everything and can't lose weight no it's not she really hasn't tried everything now is there at least one person that could prove it wrong yes because there's many people who have tried maybe five or six different techniques before finding the one that works for them keeps them motivated and keeps the weight off and you know that's one of the things I find frustrating about working in fitness and being a trainer, everybody seems to think for some reason that they know what works. And yet there's so few people that can maintain a, a happy shape or a shape that they're happy with, a healthy body. And yet everybody thinks they already know everything that there is. And I see people doing things constantly wrong in the gym and people tell me what they're doing and they're wrong what they're doing. Um, and it, it's not so much wrong, but it's like you're not going to get where you want to go doing that. So for some reason, you know, you go to a doctor, he tells you what to do, you listen. You go to a trainer, and not always do you listen to what they tell you, even though they've got the experience and the evidence to tell you, you know, this is what works. 
Okay, so let's get back to our example before I get off on another tangent. So when this person says, I've tried everything and I can't lose weight, well, how do you think that makes them feel? And if you've ever said that to yourself, how did you feel? I mean, did you feel just like giving up? Were you sad? Were you um, just at your wit's end? Were you really believing that, you know what, this is the way I'm going to have to stay the rest of my life? And, you know, I've heard that many times from people. They, they'll say, well, I'm just destined to be fat or I'm big boned or, you know, wh whatever the case may be. And it's like, no, don't give up because everything is achievable. You know, you just have to find what is the missing link. And oftentimes the missing link is this limiting belief. And since it's in your head and you say it all the time, you just don't notice it. So bringing all of this information to you to the forefront, hopefully, is going to help change some of your thought processes and therefore help you reach your goal finally. Because remember, if you've been working on the same fitness goal for more than six months, it's not working, okay? Something's not right. Either your exercise, your nutrition, or your mindset, your motivation. And it's really interesting how everybody will attack their exercise first and their nutrition first, but they forget that third component, which is the most powerful of them all. So let's go back and say, well, what's the opposite of this belief? How would you say that in um, an I am statement or a positive statement? Well, you could say something like, I can give my full effort to following an exercise and healthy eating plan that is successful, maybe has been proven to be successful. Many other people have done this and have succeeded, and I can do it too. Now, that's also something you want to look at as far as, you know, skip those fad diets and all the ones that are extreme weight loss and all that kind of stuff, but go with things that make sense, that are healthy, and that have a good success ratio. Now, when you think that and you realize, hey, I'm going to follow this program that has been successful for other normal people like me. It's not an extreme diet. It's just being healthy. Think about how that's going to make you feel. Now, does that make you feel more excited, maybe more empowered, um, maybe even strong about what you're going to be undertaking and realize that, hey, other people did it. This is a healthy approach. It's sensible. I can do this. It's, you know, little bits at a time. I can focus on this. And, you know, you're, yes, you are going to be re-energized about that goal. And you're going to be determined to be more resourceful to make it happen. And when I say more resourceful, I mean you won't have that excuse of I don't have time to cook or I don't know what to cook. And, you know, you know those are not only lame excuses, but they're limiting beliefs as well that need to be changed. So you start to look at things instead of those limiting factors. You're looking at the opportunity. Okay. How can I take an hour every three days to cook some food for myself? Okay, let me be resourceful. If I can't get to the food that I prepared or if I know I'm not going to be able to, what are my options eating out or eating at work or, you know, with um, nutrition bars or something to supplement my food so I can make sure that I'm getting in some quality calories and not screwing up your metabolism. So what you're really doing is in addition to finding these limiting beliefs and changing them, you're changing your perspective. You're changing how you look at these obstacles. And it's almost like seeing it brand new. It becomes a lot more clear. Now it takes some serious deep thought and introspection to do these limiting belief exercises. All right, sometimes they're not easy because we're so ingrained in these thoughts that are wrong. But I tell you what, it's well worth the few minutes it takes 
to get a lifetime of correct thinking. So sit down, give yourself a couple of minutes, start writing these things down, go through the, the step process. I think there's like five steps. So go through those five questions um, to figure out these things. And you might not get it right the first time, and you might not really be able to think of much, but again, use your journal, come back to it. Sometimes you look at it in a different light, and then the light bulb goes on. So if you have trouble working through these, you know, sometimes just getting the help of bouncing it off of somebody else makes a difference. And maybe you have a like-minded friend who's into fitness or who's trying to eat more healthy or be more healthy. And you know what? The two of you can work together because a lot of times somebody says something, it's easy for you to see their errors, but it's not easy for you to see your own and vice versa. So sometimes when you've got that person there, you can, you know, help them with what they're thinking and kind of point out, hey, this looks like it's going to be holding you back. And they can look at what you're say, saying or thinking and say, you know, that's not a positive statement and that's not really supporting you. So together you can work on it. And of course you have that accountability, but you also have um, a, a different view of whatever you're thinking. So if you're having trouble identifying these limiting beliefs um, or getting more detailed into them, then maybe look for the help of a, a friend um, and do it together. Now, of course, I also offer the power makeover sessions and, you know, it's an hour long session. We not only go over everything that you're currently doing that may need to be tweaked or fixed or might be altogether wrong. Um, but we also go through these thought processes because you'd be surprised when people start telling me about their past and about their frustrations and, um, about the different things that they have done to get in shape. It is very obvious to me the limiting beliefs. I mean, I've been doing this for so long and I've been listening for so long that so many patterns are the same. And then it's very easy to say, okay, this, that, and this, this is how we change it. These are the, these, this is what's limiting you. This is the way we change that thought process. And this is how you go. Okay. Because again, most diets and exercise are going to work to some degree, but if they're not giving you major changes in six months or more or less, I'm sorry, then it's your mindset. It's your thought process. There's something not supporting you. So always take that extra step. Focus on the motivation aspect of your health because, you know, it just transfers not only to your body, but the rest of your life and your attitude. And you start noticing different things and realizing that there's a lot more you can get out of life if you're thinking the right way. All right. Of course, you know, I saved the best for last, which is the training segment, especially when it comes to abdominals. It seems like everybody wants to have that six pack and they think that training is the way to do it. And it is one component like we were just talking about, but it's also the other ones. You need to be lean if you're going to see the abdominals. So you can train them all you want, but honestly, if you don't have the other components and you don't have a factor of leanness to your body, you're not still not going to see them, but Hey, they could be strong and they could be under there and they could be helpful. But let's go through right now though, not trying to see the abdominals, but trying to train them properly. So we've kind of gone over some popular myths and certainly clarified some important information about abdominal exercises and how they work and how you should be doing them. But let's go over some of the most effective ways to train the abdominals. And one of them comes from probably our grade school, high school, whatever days where um, people ask about a sit-up or a crunch, because of course we're really not doing sit-ups, um, crunches. How high should you go in a crunch to work the abdominals? 
And that's kind of where we've gotten away from doing the full sit-up because we know that that does not fully engage the abdominals and it works too much of those hip flexors. But we also now have research to back that up. And the research actually tells us that your abdominals are made to flex your spinal column for only about maybe 30 to 45 degrees of movement, which is about the same as lifting your shoulder blades off the ground. So that's where we have come up with the crunch. Okay, not only because we know that's the limit for the abdominals, any higher you start activating the lower back and the hip flexors, um, any lower and you're really not going to get any effectiveness at all. Now if you're brand new to abdominal training and training in general, if your abdominal is weak, then you might not even be able to get 30 degrees on a crunch. But again, 30 to 45 degrees would be your goal and would be your maximum. And when you actually look that on paper as an angle, you realize it's not that great of a range of motion. So honestly, why anybody in this day and age would do a full sit-up, I don't understand. But hopefully you can refer them to the study. I'll put the um, reference into the show notes so you can know 100% that this is actual research. Now, we already talked about how beyond a certain height, your hip flexors come into play. And that's because there's pressure placed on your lower spine by those hip flexors. So that's another reason why, you know, the full sit-ups aren't recommended because you're, you're basically putting a potential injury factor into your lower back. Now, some people might be thinking, well, what about with my knees bent? And actually in one of those studies, they found that the bent knee with your feet supported type sit-ups can actually cause lumbar stress. And that can lead to even more harmful effects on your discs. So some people end up getting older and they're having disc problems. They wonder why. And if this was one of their main exercises when they were younger, well, there you go. Um, to be honest with you, people that are, let's see, I hate to say my age <laughs> and um, higher, but actually people in, let's say, let's say above the age of 30, how's that sound? Um, shouldn't be doing them. I mean, the research has been out there long enough. Now, people that are maybe in their 80s, they didn't have that research then. They didn't really purport it to be bad for you. So they probably did a lot of those. But we're starting to get into that era where most people should know these things because these have been common knowledge for a long time, you know, kind of like cigarettes. You know, we know that they're bad for you. We know they're addictive. So people shouldn't be starting at this point. You know, people in older generations, they didn't know. So you kind of say, well, all right, I can understand that. But, you know, things that we know 100% and it's already been drilled into us, there's really no excuse for doing these things. And especially with the internet, you can see all the different examples of what's right and what's wrong. So yes, that takes me back to the soapbox of saying, just because you see people doing it in the gym, doesn't mean they're doing it right. And doesn't mean that it's right for you too. So the bottom line when it comes to your range of motion for the abdominals is that it's a very small range of motion. That 30 to 45 degrees is a very small range. And in actuality, you probably need more repetitions and exercises to train those muscles and to challenge those muscles. So it's not so much how much weight you put on or how far you go or how fast you move, but it's just doing a variety and doing them correctly and doing them well that's going to make the huge difference. Now, a lot of times when people are doing abdominals, you may hear a trainer say, well, pull it in or suck it in or tighten it up. And should you be doing that while you're doing crunches? Well, your abdominals are actually a, a little bit rounded in their relaxed 
state. So pulling them in while you're laying down, especially if your knees are bent, is definitely an effective way to help bring your rib cage and your pelvis towards each other. And that's going to maximize the effect of your crunch. So should you pull in or suck in your abdominals while you're doing crunches? Absolutely. Get it? That's one of our trainer jokes. Absolutely. Sorry. Can't resist. Anyways, it also helps you to visualize your abdominals. I usually will tell people, think of it like an accordion. You know, you're kind of pulling it together and then it's pulling apart. So you want to visualize those abdominals coming together and then stretching. So again, pulling them in, especially pushing the belly button into the spine, helps to flatten your lower back against the floor, which is going to in turn help keep that lower back a little safer. Now, also, your breathing is going to make a difference. It's much more effective to exhale during a contraction. So you exhale as you're coming upward, and you inhale on the way down. So basically, whenever, and this is true for a lot of exercises, whenever you're contracting, you're exhaling. Whenever you're stretching, you're inhaling. And that, again, furthers the action of the abdominals, makes them more engaged and more effective. And just so you don't take my word for it, there was actually studies just showing um, increased muscle EMG activity in the abdominals when exhaling. So the exhale makes a difference, makes them work harder. So focus on your breathing. Don't focus so hard that you hold your breath. I always tell my clients, just breathe normally. It'll come. If you focus too much, you end up holding your breath, and that's counterproductive too. So be aware of it, and eventually your breathing will be done in the right pattern. One last thing when it comes to abdominal training, we kind of touched on it earlier about resistance. Is it okay to do resistance when you're working the abdominals? Well, yes, to some degree. Okay, you need to make sure that you are first and foremost doing those abdominal exercises correctly and make sure that you're using your abdominals to pull your body upward as opposed to coming up and then squeezing your abdominals. There is a big difference. And you definitely want to make sure that you've got the right body position to make sure your exercises are going to be most effective. So you're always going to have your best results when you focus on the technique and focus on doing it slow and controlled. After that, if you feel like you need a little bit of extra resistance, then yes. But do you need to be swinging around 25 pounds? No. Your bottom line when it comes to abdominal training is to make sure you're doing things slowly, controlled, and make every repetition count. Just a few reminders, go take the poll about your meals on the fitgirlguide.blogspot.com website. You can also find some recommendations for a food scale at the fitgirlguide.blogspot.com site. And be sure to write down your limiting beliefs so that you can continue to work on them and fine-tune them. So if you need any help with your identifying your limiting beliefs or finding out how much percentage of protein, fats, and carbs, grams you should have when using your food scale, then go over to coachkira.com. Got a couple of different programs. Some are one-on-one -on -one and some of them are self-paced. So either way, I'm going to give you the direction you need to get the body you want and keep it. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to giving you all the insights to help you reach all of your goals and to help you get your best body ever. If you'd like additional information on these topics and more articles on health, nutrition, and motivation, visit fitnessmakeover.com, allinoneworkout.com, 
or coachkira.com. <laughs>